Thank you for tuning into the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope, a United Methodist community. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We serve the Elgin, Illinois area and are located at the corner of Randall Road and Highland. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, here is this week's message. This morning we read from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive God's or who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. May God bless the reading, hearing, and understanding of his word. Uh, man, it is great to be here with you and, and continue to share in this wonderful series. Uh, and so I encourage you to have your, have your bulletins handy. I encourage you to have those out so that you know that there's a space that you can jot down notes when the Spirit speaks to you, that, that you can write those down and that you can remember those later. also has those questions for you to reflect on throughout the week as well as Scripture passages uh, to look through. And to read as you read Scripture all through the week. Also wanted to remind you that uh, in the bulletin you will find my, my number. Uh, and so should at some point in time today a, a question come to your head uh, that you really are kind of wondering what the answer is, you can certainly text me the question. I can try to get to it today or I will certainly work it in at another time. Uh, so I encourage you to send those in if you have those. Uh, so I ask that you would pray with me. Gracious God, as we, uh, as we long to hear Your Word, God, we, we've heard the, the passages from Your Scriptures, 
And now we long to hear you speak to our hearts to tell us what we are to do and how we are to live our lives. And so God, speak as your servants are listening. And and God, may the words that I speak no longer be my own, but make them be your words for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we did. We began this, this new worship series that was based on an interview given by Brian Stevenson, founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, and he was also the author of a book in, uh, which was recently made into a movie called Just Mercy. It's a true story based on, on a story of Johnny D., who was wrongfully convicted of murder and was sentenced to death row. Brian Stevenson fought for Johnny D. because his mom told him to fight for those who needed it the most. You see, in the opening scene of the movie, Brian is having a conversation with his mom on their front porch. Uh, She is sweeping off the front porch rather angrily because he turns to her and he says, what did that broom ever do to you? She's angry because she knows what he's about ready to do. Having this conversation with, with his mom when he tells her, or her mom tells him that, that she's the one who's going to need to plan his funeral because of what he was doing. She tells him that people will hate him for what he is about to do, but he was going to do it anyway. Certainly sounds like one of those paradoxical commandments that we're studying on Wednesday nights during Pathways Worship. You see, he's going down to Alabama to fight for so many that are on death row to get them new trials, to get new evidence introduced, and many people weren't going to want to hear that. Well, the article uh, was, uh, it, with the interview was actually forwarded to me by, by Carol Hecht, as I said last week, as, as she listened to the Spirit's guidance in sharing that with me. And that is how we found ourselves here, week two of this series called Stone Catchers. We can certainly see how this would relate to the story of the the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus stepped between her and those wishing to stone her to death. And so during this series, we're focusing on three characters of the story. Last week, it was Jesus Talking about, uh, and talking about what Jesus would do, if you remember, especially as the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, looking for a response from Him. And next week, we're going to turn our focus to the crowd who was gathered that day, wanting to see justice for this crime that was committed. However, today we want to focus on the woman. Who was she? What was she doing there? Why would she be brought up right at this time? And so, if you think about the story, I mean, actually, there's not much we know about her, right? She has no name, and while there are some sources who believe she might be Mary Magdalene, there's not actually much to support that claim. I would actually say that by giving her a name, it would actually take a little away from the story. So let me explain. Here's what we do know about her. She was an adulterer. We know this because she was, I guess you could say she was caught red-handed. She was caught in the act. 
of adultery. And, and there certainly must have been witnesses for the Pharisees to actually bring her out into the center like this. We also know that she was betrothed to another man. Now, last week I mentioned the fact that the Pharisees were looking for not only the death penalty, but also that it needed to be carried out by stoning, a punishment that was reserved for those who had committed adultery with those who were betrothed. The last thing we know is that she was being used by the Pharisees. They were using her circumstances to trap Jesus so they could get rid of him, or at least knock him down a ways in the eyes of the community. You see, she is a means to an end. She's a pawn. Which also leads me to think that it would be better if we didn't know her name. It's almost as if she doesn't exist. But in Jesus' eyes, she did. She would be the epitome of an outcast, someone who is marginalized, the lost, the broken, the one that the Pharisees should have been looking out for, not condemning. Again, thinking of Brian Stevenson and the lessons his mother taught him to, to fight for the ones who needed it most, this woman would have certainly fit the bill. The scene is set. The trap is set. Does Jesus fall for it? Well, we talked last week about the implications of, of either decision, convict or acquit, and how that would have been seen by, by both the Jewish people as well as the Roman government. Jesus chose the right path, and in doing so, helps this woman in her desperate time of need. We also talked last week about Jesus' action of bending down and writing in the sand. And last week, if you, if you caught it somewhere in the middle there, I mentioned that Jesus could have been drawing a line in the sand, in effect, protecting the woman, telling others in the crowd that they should not cross that line, the line that He drew. And this week, as we think about loving and caring for the vulnerable, maybe what Jesus was writing was insignificant. There's no record, actually, of what he wrote, only speculation. But as I said, maybe what he wrote wasn't that important. What if it was just an action that allowed him a little more time to reflect? What if, Jesus's way of, what if this was actually Jesus' way of waiting to see if someone else in the crowd would speak up for this woman? If someone else would feel in their heart that this woman needed help and that they should speak up on her behalf. As we know about this story, no one spoke up. No one else wanted to step up and help another human being in their greatest time of need except Jesus. Now, I've got one more thought of what Jesus wrote in the sand, but you're going to have to wait till next week to find out about that. <laughs> I feel like I'm on one of those Netflix series, just kind of leave the cliffhanger out there and make sure you come back next week to hear what this other one is. 
I wonder if you might have helped someone in their time of need. And when that might have been, what did it look like to help someone when they absolutely needed you? Maybe you've got some really good friends who will watch out for you, who will take care of you, to take you places when you need them to, stand up for you, maybe even be an advocate for you. Do you have a person like this? Or maybe the better question is, are you this person for someone else? So before, before we look at the Scripture passage from this morning, I want to show you a stark contrast to a different story in John chapter 5. You see, in John chapter 5, here is where we find a man who has been lame for 38 years. 38 years. In the story, we find him near this, this special pool. It's the pool at Bethesda. And the story goes that every so often, the water in the pool would get stirred when the Holy Spirit would descend upon the water. And if you were sick or lame, you could get into the pool, if you could get in in time, and you would be healed. Thirty-eight years, this man would wait by the pool, but would never be able to make it into the water because he couldn't move. More than that, he told Jesus that he had no one to help him into the water. Thirty-eight years of waiting by the water, hoping hoping that someone would come by and help him into the water, but no, not a single soul. Not a single soul would help him. No one would help him into the water. He had no one. Ever felt like this in your life? Or felt like you had no one on your side, that you were all alone? Ever felt like you have no one, no friends, no family, no, not even a stranger to help you like a Samaritan, to comfort you or to, to just listen to you? If so, I think you might understand what the man by the pool was going through. I guess you should know the end of the story, and that is Jesus said, you don't have to wait for the water. Pick up your bed and go. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Pick up your bed and go. So that brings us to our main story today, a story about a man lowered through the roof. And this story is told in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three tell this story. There are, however, slight differences like how the roof was constructed because of what they had to do to get to the opening. Mark says they had to dig a hole into the roof, and Luke says they just had to remove tiles to get into the openings. Matthew makes no mention of a roof at all or a house. They're just friends who brought this person to Jesus. However, one key element is consistent through all of these versions. The man was a paralytic. He was lying on a bed or a mat, and he had friends who helped him get to Jesus. Adam Hamilton has a term for these friends. If you've ever heard him talk about this, he mentions it quite often. He calls them stretcher bearers. The title of our message today, stretcher bearers. I really liked that term. I continue to use it. You see, this man who was paralyzed is needed friends, his stretcher bearers, to help him around, 
ultimately getting him to Jesus for healing. So many times throughout our lives, we need our own stretcher bearers to help us. We need people to to carry us to Jesus for healing. Now, sometimes it's physical healing, and we need a ride to a doctor or to a therapist, and other times we need spiritual healing. We need those friends who help us to get to church or to pray for us or even invite us on an Emmaus weekend. We need people to care for us in our time of need. One of the key verses in the story is found in verse 20, and it begins simply this way, when he saw their faith. Jesus isn't talking about the paralyzed man's faith. Many times we can miss that whole phrase. See, many of Jesus' healings are accompanied with the phrase, your faith has made you well, or your faith has healed you. But in this story, we find the friends have a faith. And their friend's faith had a crucial role to play in the healing of this man. It was their faith that encouraged Jesus to heal the man. Now, I want to make sure that you understand something here. This story is not talking about surrounding yourself with Christians to help you get to heaven or to gain just by you being there. You are not redeemed by the faith of your friends. You don't get an automatic pass to heaven because you have a friend in me. That's not how this works. The man still needed to have his own faith, but Jesus was moved because of what he witnessed in the friendships displayed before him on that day. That got me thinking of some other things, some other crazy things that friends do for each other. And yes, some of them are not so good. College pranks are a good example of what I'm not talking about here. I'm not referring to that road trip all of your frat brothers or sorority sisters talked you into, but maybe the ways that they always have their backs. They always have their backs. I think about, uh, you know, we had a motorcycle blessing out here the, the other day, and, uh, and I think about the, the camaraderie and the brotherhood and sisterhood that, that are in those riding packs, that you watch out for each other, you take care of each other. During my first year of seminary, I had, I had to take biblical Greek. Keith will tell you all about this. Uh, it's one of those, I think it's one of those weed them out classes I'm not sure if you know what those are. You know, the class that would push you to your limits and make you either quit seminary or assure that you were in the right place. Oh, we had a little study group that would get together every week or so to go over vocabulary, spelling, and, and working through all those different verb tenses. It was a group of about five friends who watched out for each other, who encouraged one another during one of the most difficult times of our seminary career. And to this day, we are still pretty close. As I think about the faith of the friends, I can see how the faith of others around us can can have an impact on our lives. I think we can grow in our faith because of those around us and the faith that they have. We can learn how to be more faithful by their witness. I mean, I'm sure that you can all think of someone who modeled a faithful life for you as you grew up. You've got those people in your head, 
Maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, or just a pillar in the church community. I mean, I think when I, when I think about this, I think of a, a Sunday school teacher of mine, Karen Andrews, from back in Rockford, who guided so many kids through formative seasons of their lives as teenagers. I remember watching my youth choir director, Shirley Ann Tudor, and her accompanist, Dixie Hoffman, showing me ways to use music to glorify God. And the many pastors who have either baptized, confirmed, or led me throughout the years I can imagine those of you who have, who have had faith-forming experiences because of lives that you have encountered, lives like Dorothea Stetner, lives like Glenn Peterson and Mary Peterson. Maybe some of you that are sitting here in the sanctuary, maybe like, maybe like Lillian Mink or Trudy Wise, Doug Cramp so many others. These are lives that, that not only teach us by example, but they also hold us accountable. Maybe someone in the church has called you out in the past. It probably wasn't just to make an example of you, but to help you grow. I mean, we celebrate these people and the ways they have impacted and protected others. They are stretcher bearers to those around them, bringing them closer to the grace of Jesus Christ just by being who they are. Some of you know that, uh, that Sherry's mom, Gwen, has been having difficulties over the past year, but it's stretched back much farther than that. She's had heart, heart issues and, and other things that have slowed her down and also made her pretty dependent on others caring for her. Thankfully, Gwen has multiple daughters and a brother or in a, in a son who have really cared for her over the years. They would step in when needed and be her advocate, her personal care provider, her nutritionist, her physical therapist, or anything else she might need. Sherry's sister, Melody, is the one who actually lives with her mom and cares for her 24-7. There was a time toward the beginning of the pandemic when, when we remember that Gwen was released from the hospital to a rehab center, and when word came out about no visitors, Melody firmly told the center to get her discharge papers ready because she was taking her mother home with her that day, and I do mean firmly. The care that she gets at home is second to none. Although there is usually a lot of bickering going on, I guess that's what you get when you have two very strong-willed people living in the same house. They have different views on what is healthy eating, the care, the nurture, and, but the love uh, is better than any other place that she can be. I know that not everyone can do this, but Melody is answering this call to love and care for the most vulnerable in this world. It just so happens that it's her mom. She is a stretcher bearer for her mom. And this is what the friends in, in the story were doing. They were not only protecting the man, but they were also taking him into the very presence of Jesus Christ for healing. They were watching out for the vulnerable. 
in their lives. They were being literally stretcher bearers for this man. This is also what Jesus is doing for the woman caught in adultery. He is catching the stones, catching them from the crowd before they were even thrown. He's protecting her from damaging actions and words from those who came with a strange form of justice on their minds. And so maybe we end with a few questions this morning. I wonder who you can be a stretcher bearer for today. Do you know someone who needs healing, whether it's physical or spiritual? How can you help them get to that space of healing this week? How can you pick someone up and carry them into the very presence of Jesus Christ this week? Who do you need to be a stretcher bearer for? Will you pray with me? God, we hear your, your message this morning. God, sometimes your message is, is difficult to listen to. Because maybe we didn't think that, that we should be stretcher bearers, or, or maybe we know someone who needs us to be a stretcher bearer, and we aren't really sure if we can. So God, I ask that you would give us the strength to be able to do that, to be able to care for those around us, to love them, to share your grace and your love with them, and to watch out for them, to be able to know when when they are most vulnerable, when they need you the most, and when they need us the most, and to be able to pick them up, either by encouraging words or truly physically just picking them up and carrying them into your presence. God, that may just be lifting them in prayer and praying for them in our hearts that they would truly feel the healing that they need. God, I thank you for this message of of being a stone catcher and the many ways that you are leading us to, to be this in the world around us. And so, God, keep opening up our eyes so that we can see where we need to do this. Keep opening up our hearts so that we can feel when our presence is needed. God, all this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Henry. It's wonderful to have Henry sharing with music with us this morning. Uh, any other time, we'll just have you come back and share again. <laughs> so as we get ready to go forth from this place, as we get ready to move from one room to another for all of you watching at home, uh, you know, we really need to think about this. We need to think about those stretcher bearers and, and maybe reflect on who's been a stretcher bearer for us. And maybe that gives us some wisdom on how we can be a stretcher bearer for someone else, how we can care for others in our lives. And so go forth knowing that you can do this, 
that God will encourage you, that God will give you the strength, God will give you the words to say when you most need them. And then also go knowing that the love of God, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit goes with you, and it goes with you always. Amen.